things like in verse number 7, he says, I counted all things lost for Christ. Uh, again, he brings that up again in verses number 8 and verses number 9 also. But uh, he's talking a lot about counting and about uh, what he has accounted his life to be. Uh, the past life, the past achievements, he says, I've counted those but done, refuse, no good. Uh, nothing to be thrown out, nothing but to be thrown out to the dogs. Uh, and then in verses 12 through 16, uh, he has demonstrated that the Christian life is like an athlete running. Uh, he is running, he is exercising, he is enduring, uh, he is attaining, he is uh, pressing. He's moving towards the mark of the prize of the high God. He's going to the finish line. That's the mark. Uh, that's where he's getting himself to. And uh, Or you might think of it like this. Uh, did anybody run track and field in school? No. Uh, I didn't run. I was in track and field, never ran. I was in fast, so I didn't run. They didn't put me out there to run with anybody, so I was a slow guy. So uh, uh, my coach said, uh, said, so Cox can't teach speed around here, so... Uh, so uh, so anyhow, uh, but nonetheless, um, the, the mark, there's also marks uh, for whenever you're running a relay. Uh, there was a mark whenever you see the teammate hit the mark, you're supposed to start running. Uh, and uh, that's when you start running. And then at that uh, crucial interval in between those two lines, you hand the baton off. And so, uh, so the mark is like a finish line, but the mark is also like what he says in verse number 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them all which, walk, which so walk as you have us for an example. Uh, the mark is also that uh, in the Christian life, we're not finished until we hand the baton off to somebody else. The reason we have a church here is because a uh, hundred years ago, some Christians uh, were still passing the baton to another Christian, into another Christian, into a, another Christian, until finally uh, somebody passed the baton to a Christian that said, oh, we need a church out here. And then this church began, and that baton's been passed on to this generation. So that's the mark. And uh, we're going to have to prepare ourselves to pass the baton on to somebody else, pass it on to our kids. Amen. Uh, pass it on to future generations. And then finally we see that he has related himself, uh, the Christian life, to an alien. Now, I don't mean one from outer space, uh, but an alien. I, I, one that is uh, not from this world, but is from another world. Uh, he has a, uh, a dual citizenship, if you will. Uh, they are not just connected to the world, but they're also connected to heaven. And he says so in verse number 20, where he says, for our conversation is in heaven. The word conversation there is not uh, what you did on the phone before you came to church. Uh, that's not, the, it's not the, the, the talk that you had with somebody in the car on the way here. That's not what he means by conversation. The word conversation is literally the word citizenship. Citizenship. So tonight we want to see this message entitled Dual Citizenship. Christians should have a heavenly conversation, but our heavenly conversation should impact our earthly conversation. We live differently here on this earth because we're 
uh, because of where we're going to live in eternity. That's why we live differently here, because we have a different citizenship. One author said, Christians have a dual citizenship on earth and in heaven. And he said that our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. I like that statement. Amen? Our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people upon the face of this earth. The spiritually minded believer is not attracted by the things of this world. Remember Lot? He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. And he lost everything. Whereas Moses, he rejected the pleasures and treasures of Egypt and he gained a reward that was much more and infinitely better to live for. So a couple of questions tonight for you as we consider this message that our heavenly conversation ought to impact our earthly conversation. Our heavenly citizenship ought to impact our earthly citizenship. The first question is this, is do you have dual citizenship? Do you have dual citizenship? And the second question I'd like to propose to you tonight is this, is are you living out your heavenly citizenship while upon this earth? Are you living out your heavenly citizenship while upon the face of this earth? So we'll notice some things tonight about these things. Let's consider our first point, though, and we'll answer the first question with the first point. The first point is this. The heavenly record book. Alright? Take your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 3. You don't have to go very far. Uh, isn't that always nice when the preacher does that to you? You don't have to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 8 verse number 3 or something like that. Philippians 4.3, notice what he says. He says here, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other of my fellow laborers, whose names are in the what? Book of life. The book of life. If you have a uh, dual citizenship, then you are written in the book of life. Every soul that is born into this world has an earthly citizenship, right? I mean, by default, uh, being born on the earth, you are a citizen of the earth, right? I brought along some things tonight to prove who I am. I have a birth certificate. I, 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 I think that's, that looks kind of old, doesn't it, right there? Yeah, and everything. And I was, somebody was saying, you're old, Pastor. Somebody was saying that tonight. 40, coming up on 40. Somebody was saying, no, that's young. Uh, but it's all uh, relative, I guess. So, but that's my, that's my proof right there, my citizenship, where I was born and everything. And uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Forsyth Memorial Hospital right there. Uh, but nonetheless, that's where I was born at, right there. Uh, and then, just in case you don't believe me, then I brought along uh, something else. I brought along my passport, you know. Now, if you go to a foreign country and you don't have one of these, you're going to be in trouble, all right? So, got to have one of these. Proves your citizenship, proves who you are. So, by default, I, I'm a citizen of America. I'm a citizen uh, now of Texas. And, uh, but nonetheless, every soul is born with that. And we, we don't lose that when we become a Christian. All right? 
You say, how do you know that? Well, Acts chapter number 21, Paul says this. Paul says that I am of a citizen of Tarsus of the city of Cilicia. So, uh, Cilicia, sorry. I am of this city of Cilicia. I'm a citizen of this place. And it's no mean city. Doesn't mean that it was an aggressive city. It just means that it was a well-known city. Y'all know this. Y'all know this about me. I'm a citizen of this place. I'm a Roman by birth. Go see for yourself. That was his testimony. But his earthly citizenship was not what put Paul on trial. Right? It wasn't his earthly citizenship that put, got Paul in trouble. What got Paul in trouble was his heavenly citizenship. And that's where the key thing lies. That everybody in the world has an earthly citizenship, but do you have a heavenly citizenship? You say, how do I have a heavenly citizenship? Well, you've got to have your name written in the book of life. He says, talk to these, uh, entreat these, uh, these laborers of mine whose names are written in the book of life. Jesus even talks about this book. Moses talks about this book. Isaiah talks about this book. John talks about this book. It's all over your Bible. There is a book. David talks about this book. But Jesus says, notwithstanding, whenever the disciples got a little excited about the fact that they were casting out demons and performing miracles and just, oh man, things were going so good, Jesus says to them, says, hey, wait a second, boys. Uh, make sure you understand something. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Alright? That's what you ought to be rejoicing in. So uh, Revelation chapter number 21 and verse number 27 tells us that the only people that are allowed into heaven are people that are in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 27 and there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, if you travel to, uh, whenever you pass away from this earth and you meet God in glory, and your name is not written in the book of life, because God's going to open up two books in that day. Did you know that? There's actually a couple of books. Take your Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 20. And God is going to make a determination in that day whenever everybody's dead and everybody's all coming before God in judgment. And there's going to be one crowd that stands before God in eternal judgment and one, God, one people that stand before God uh, to judge their only their works, not their salvation. They're going to heaven. But look at this. In Revelation chapter number 20, he talks about the devil being cast in the lake of fire. He talks about the great white throne of judgment in verse number 11. That's what we're talking about. And then in verse 12, it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, plural, and another book was open, which is the book of life. Remember, we're talking about the book of life. So there's two, two record books here. You've got books, plural, and you've got a book of life, singular. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the words. In verse number 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of what? 
life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's two, there's two, there's there's two different record books. There's books of works. Everybody's got works, but your works don't save you. Amen. And then there's another book that's open. And God's going to judge us. And He's going to open those books up. And He's going to judge every single person that stand before us, small and great. They're all going to, everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody's going to get a trial before God. Alright? Everybody. Small and great. You're not going to hide away by getting buried at sea, He says. He's going to call you up. You're going to stand before God. When you stand before God, He's going to open up two sets of books. The works book, which everybody's got works. But then he's going to open up the book of life. And he's going to look for your name in the book of life. And if your name is not in the book of life, he says that you'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's what the Word of God says. So we need to believe God's Word. Amen. So is your name in the book of life? So how do I get it in there? You get your name in there by being associated with what the book's called. The Lamb's Book of Life. You have a relationship with the Lamb of God? Have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Say, so how do I get washed by the blood of the Lamb? Believing upon Jesus to be your Savior. That He died for your sins. And that He rose again the third day. So do you have dual citizenship? I do. I believed upon Jesus Christ when I was 19 years old and I became a dual citizen of heaven and earth. What about you? That's the heavenly record. If you're in that book, if your name's been written in the book of life, then let's move on. Look what he says here. He says, he could continue, we continue on. In verse number 16, we read this of Philippians 3. Going back to our text here, it says, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which so which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. So it's not only important that we uh, make sure that we're in the heavenly record book, but if you're in the heavenly record book, then you need to follow heavenly rules. Heavenly rules. That's what he says. He says, mind the same thing. Make sure that you, in verse number 16, let us walk by the same rule. Now the rule, the word rule there simply means standard. And people don't like to talk about standards anymore or anything like that, but the Bible says a lot about standards and about rules. There's lots of rules in the, in the Scriptures. And, uh, and the, we don't seem to have a problem with that whenever it comes to an NFL game or an NBA basketball game or an NCAA college uh, basketball game. But when it comes to life, uh, suddenly, or the, to be a Christian, sometimes people say, well, no, we don't need rules. Uh, we don't need rules. But the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. Paul is letting us know that there are some heavenly rules. There's some heavenly rules. You know, I love what he says here in verse 16. 
He says, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Now, what has Paul been teaching us here in the last few verses? He's been saying this. He's been saying that we haven't attained. All right? We're not there yet. Is anybody here perfect tonight? Good. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. Uh, no, there's nobody here perfect. We haven't got there yet. We're not there yet. But, he says in 16, he says, to clear some things up, I love how balanced the scriptures are, all right? He says, there are some things that you have attained to, all right? There are some things that you have grown in, if I can put it that way. Uh, but there's also some things, and some, there's some aspects of the Christian life and of Christianity that we're never going to be able to understand, all right? I mean, Jesus even tells us that nobody's going to know the time or the hour when the Son of Man is going to come again, right? But what are people still doing, trying to do today? Still trying to put a time and date on, right? Everybody's trying to say, well, it's this or it's that, or he's coming then, or he's coming this time, or he's going to come and do it this. It's going to be just like this, but I have a feeling that the majority of people really just don't understand how it's all going to work out, all right? We don't fully understand what the revelation means, all right? I have not read one commentary where I have been fully satisfied that they know exactly what Revelation is saying, all right? I don't. don't know fully what those kinds of things mean. We definitely and surely don't know what heaven exactly looks like. And no, and, and I've read a lot of commentaries on this, and is that I cannot, I cannot find one person that I can fully agree with who knows exactly what it means about the election that God talks about and the free will of man. I have not found one person, and every person that I think is about to figure it out, they start talking a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that I don't understand. When you find somebody talking a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that you don't understand, it usually means they don't understand too, you know? So there are things in the Christian life and our Christian existence that we're not going to agree on, we're not going to attain to. There are things that are just simply not going to be there. But he tells us there are some things, praise God, amen, we have attained to, Amen? There are some things we do know. And I've oftentimes challenged people like this. No, oh, what about this? Or what about that? Or, you know, when's the tribulation coming? Pre, no, are you pre are you pre-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, post-wrath, pre, you know what I mean? You know, what when's when's it coming? All meal, post-meal, all those kinds of things. Listen, I'll tell you this. If people would focus more on Ephesians chapter number 4, verses number 17 through 32, their life would probably be a little bit better than worry about pre-mill, post-mill, pre-trip, pre-wrath, the rest of it, all right? You know why? Because Ephesians chapter 4, verses number 17 through 32, tells you how to live the Christian life. It's rules. That's what it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses number, I've got it written in my notes, so I don't want to misquote it here tonight. I don't want to read every one of these, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses number 12 through 28, guess what? There's about, I think I counted one time, about 25 different commands of God. People talk about the 10 commands. What about the 25 commands that are given in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5? I mean, those, I mean, if people would worry more about what's happening in 1 Thessalonians 5 and in Ephesians chapter number 4, then about all the other things that they worry about, then they probably have better marriages, better relationships, and they probably would be winning more souls than Jesus Christ. This is the very fact of the matter. There are certain things we've attained to. All right? We understand the instructions that are given to husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and masters and servants. Read your read the book of James. Amen. Just read James. And there's no plainer epistle in your New Testament than the book of James. 
There's, there's, no, there's no punches that are pulled there. There's nothing like, huh, I wonder what he meant by that. You know what I mean? That the mountain, you know, the water cannot send forth both sweet water and bitter water at the same time. Is there some kind of allusion to all of this? No, he's just trying to tell you that it can't, that good water and bad water can't come out of the same fountain. That's all he's saying. He's kind of referring to the tongue, right? So sure our tongue be. Read your sermon on the mount. Amen? Those are rules. Mind the same thing. Let us all have the same rules. Uh, the Corinthians talks to us and gives us instructions concerning the church and its leaders. Read Galatians chapter 5 and verses number 16 through 26. And what will you find there? You'll find the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. Be a soul winner for Jesus. Be a witness. Be a testimony. I mean, these are the rules that are happening. No, like I said, I, you know, if ever somebody wants to come to you and talk about the unknowns or the unexplainables and all the rest of it, I ask myself, or you might ask them, ask them, say, well, how's your marriage? Uh, how's your how's your tongue been lately? Have you served Have you served somebody else outside of your family this past week? How does your forgiveness look? How's your bitterness in? How's your bitterness? Uh, you know. In Matthew 16, I find it very interesting that Jesus and what's happening in our text here too, in verse number 18, is essentially the same thing where he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now even tell you weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. What happened? They forgot where their citizenship should be. It's not on earth. It's in heaven. And they ought to be living out the what they should be doing in heaven. The way that they should be in heaven. Everyone's looking for a sign nowadays, right? Everyone wants to know the mystery of when Jesus is coming again. But Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they came tempting him looking for a sign from heaven, he answered and said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, you say it will be foul weather. Today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. You know? And we, we're, we, 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 can, we can figure out if it's going to rain or not. At least we think we can. We can, we can forecast the weather. As I was preaching on Sunday, I mean, a Christian ought to have some heavenly eyes and look around themselves and say, you know what, the end draweth not. Amen? I mean, this is, we're, we're living on borrowed time. Paul said to the, to the believers there, he said, he said what? He said that, the, that your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. John said, even so come their Lord Jesus, all right? So we're living on borrowed time, folks, all right? The apostles thought Jesus was coming in their day, okay? So if they thought he was coming in their day, how much closer is he coming in our day, right? I mean, it's close. It could be any moment, it could be any time, all right? We got to be ready. We're heavenly citizens, and we ought to live by heavenly rules. A Christian makes his decisions on the basis of eternal values and biblical principles and biblical commands, not on the passing fads of society, it appears to be said. 
not only has heavenly rules we see tonight, but he has a heavenly regard. I won't spend long with this because I did take up a lot of time in discussing this in our earlier discussions on Philippians chapter number 2, but I must point this out when he says, let us walk by the same rule. Alright? you got to have dual citizenship to be in this uh, to be in this company. you got to be written in the heavenly record book. If you're in the heavenly record book, then you follow heavenly rules, but you also have a heavenly regard for others. He says that we mind the same things. Now again, I do want to just have you turn back to Philippians 2 and verses number 1 through 4, just so that you uh, can see that I did deal with this and that we dealt with it extensively, but he says, if therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. And what does he say? That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, that's unity, amen? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't do things for self-seeking reasons or for fighting. Do everything in lowliness of mind. Be humble in the way that you do things. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, we already dealt with all of this. And then we saw the great example of Jesus Christ and how he does these things. And Paul's reminding them again, mind the same things. Uh, there's a great study to be done in your Bibles on the one another's. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32 tells us to forgive one another. Uh, John 15, 12 tells us to love one another. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13, he tells us to serve one another. I mean, there's, there's multiples of these all throughout your New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 4 2 says giving grace to one another uh, Romans 12 10 tells us to be in honor preferring one another I mean this is the way this, this is minding the same things that's what you're doing you're minding the same things I'm, uh, I guess what blows me away and I shouldn't say it blows me away it, it just uh, is a reminder uh, every uh, not every, but especially during this election season, um, that our world is self-consuming, isn't it? Um, when somebody talks about uh, what are your main priorities, uh, as uh, what do you what do you really see yourself running on? And, and people run oftentimes on the economy, right? I mean, that's what they run on. Why do they do that? Because they know they they believe that, and they're right that people care about their money. Their money. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about your money or you shouldn't try to produce a livelihood for your family. That's not what I'm saying. But the the overall emphasis in every election is usually self-consuming. You know, nobody runs on the ticket of their main headline, you know, let's end child trafficking. Why don't they run that? Because it doesn't concern the majority of people. That's why. Let's have better nursing home facilities and pay workers better and so that the owners don't get all the money. Anybody been in a nursing home lately? All right. And you're wondering where does $6,000, $8,000, $9,000 go a month to for each one of these people? Where does that go to? Where's that going? 
certainly ain't going to high-paid professionals. And I'm not, not speaking against anybody working in nursing homes. God bless them. It's not an easy job. Why, why is it somebody like that getting paid 30 or $40 an hour? Because the owners are backing those money, that money. That's why. Simple. Nobody runs on those kinds of things. Because we're, we're a self-consumed, we're, 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 we're consumed with self in our society. But as, as creatures of God, we are not we're called by God to not live that way. We are called to live in such a way that we're not about us, we're about others. Mind the same things. What does that mean? It means don't just think about yourself. Think about others. Help others. And then finally, I would tell you this about a dual citizenship tonight is that you're looking for a heavenly return. Now he says that in verse number 20 and 21, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we look at this word here that we ought to be encouraged to do so. We ought to be encouraged to live godly because of our heavenly citizenship. Uh, Paul again says in Titus chapter 2, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? What is it? What is the, what's the reason? Looking, here it is, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. John says the exact same thing. These things are not, he says there's nothing new here, right? I mean, this is repeated over and over and over for us that our heavenly citizenship, the fact that we're going to heaven one day, ought to propel us to look to heaven and say, Jesus is coming again. And in seeing that Jesus is coming again, we ought to say, I want to live like Jesus. I want to live like the Lord. I want to do what's right. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And, it, and the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But don't miss verse 3, right? What does verse 3 say? And every man that hath this hope within him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So don't forget that. Even as he is pure. Jesus told that parable, if you remember, about the servant that was waiting for his master to come home. And he stayed busy and obedient to the task at hand. Why? Because he knew that at any moment his Lord could come back. And that admonition is given to us consistently throughout the whole entire Bible. Noah warned the people of Noah warned the people before the flood. Enoch warned the people before the flood. Abraham lived in tents looking for a city. Moses left Egypt in order that he might follow God. Jesus, even our own Savior and Lord, what did he do? Hebrews says this, 
that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why was he able to endure the cross? Though? Because he saw what? The joy that was set before him. Right? That's why these martyrs were able to suffer the, the, the deaths that they were. It's because they had heavenly vision. They saw something that, that a lot of us don't see. They saw that Jesus is coming back. They saw that they wanted to be worthy uh, servants for their Lord, is what they wanted to be. And be ready at a moment's notice to even to, to serve Him, to live for Him, and if the case may be, like many did, die for Him. Nationals of heaven are looking, always looking for Jesus' return. And it's something we probably should talk about more. We should be hoping for it. We should be looking for it. For why? For he tells us why. Because there's going to be a great thing that happens. Because not only are we going to get to go to heaven, but look at verse 21. He's going to change our vile body. Now think about that. He's speaking in present tense about his own body and about the Philippians' body. He's talking about you and I's body. This body right now that we live in is vile. All right? It's full of decay. It's full of sin. This body right here. This physical flesh. But God one day is going to change this vile body. And he's going to turn it into a heavenly body. One that he says here is a glorious body. Amen? What's the glorious body? It's a body like Jesus had. Perfect. Feelable, touchable, yes, but different. And then he says he'll subdue all things unto himself. I like that word subdue. It is the word to subordinate or to place in subjection. It's the idea of whenever um, a new class of recruits show up at, um, at the uh, training camp and the drill sergeant comes out, all right? He is quickly reminding them and subjecting them, right? He's putting them underneath subjugation and reminding them who is in charge. He's putting things in order. And that's what they're doing throughout boot camp. They're putting things in order all throughout boot camp. They're arranging things. They're putting. They're finding out leaders. They're finding out who can lead and who can help and who can do this and who can do that and where this person will be best fitted in here and how will they best be able to serve the United States Army? How can they help here? How? What are they doing? They're placing people where they need them the most. You know what Jesus says? He says he will subdue all things unto himself. He'll arrange things in order. But the world we live in, sadly today, does not, we don't, they don't arrange their lives in proper order. And too many times, sadly, we as Christians don't either. We get our priorities mixed up, don't we? We put friends, family, money, jobs, aspirations. We get clouded by worldly pleasures and worldly relationships, unthankful hearts. We produce sometimes a, a false spirituality that cares more about what I know than about what am I living out what I know. That's, the, that's a false spirituality. 
somebody that somebody that cares more about what they know about God than living out what they know about God. False spirituality. A false spirituality, and, and nobody in here, so I can say this, has asked me about this. So, but I've been getting questions about this lately. You know, uh, Pastor, what do you think about this? You know, what's happening in Jerusalem? You know, they got the they got the priests and they got the, the robes and they got the they got the red heifer and, and all those kinds of things and they got all this going on over there. What does that all that mean? Uh, listen. If you're concerned about all of those kinds of things and you haven't even invited your neighbor to church or given them a gospel track, my friend, you've got false spirituality. It's a false spirituality. Who cares what's happening in Israel if your neighbor's lost and going to hell? I mean, who cares what's going on there necessarily if if you don't treat your wife or or your husband correctly? You know? We have attained unto some things, Okay? Alright? I don't know what's happening in Israel. And you know what? I honestly don't think I can believe anything that the media tells me that's happening in Israel. Okay? But what I can know is how am I treat my kids? You know? Have I read my Bible to them? Have I prayed with them? Have I prayed for them? Am I following any of the commands of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5? Just take one of them, Alright? Let's just all work on one command from 1 Thessalonians 5 this week. Okay, you ready? You ready? Because all of us need to work on this one. And I guarantee when we come back next Wednesday, I can tell you again that every one of us need to work on it again. Because you didn't get it this past week. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. Or how about this one? Try on this one precise. Rejoice evermore. That's a tough one too, isn't it? Quench not the spirit. What's happening in Israel? You know? What's going on with the red heifer? What's going on with this? You know? Ah! You know? How's your prayer life? How's your marriage? How's your Bible reading? How's your rejoicing? You know? What's going on with that? How's your soul winning? Where are you at on those things? Citizens of heaven have their names written in the heavenly record book. They follow heavenly rules. They have a heavenly regard for their fellow man and they're looking for a heavenly return of Jesus Christ. Be a good citizen. Be a good citizen of heaven. For if you're at a heavenly conversation, let that impact your earthly conversation on the face of this earth. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God, and we pray that you please would help us, Lord, to live out our heavenly citizenship in the world around us. Lord, we don't know all the signs, we don't know all the wonders, we don't understand how it's all going to work out, God. 
I'm praying that God, you'll send the rapture. And that Lord will be raptured out of this thing. I'm praying that God, that Lord, that you will come down in the clouds, like you said in 1 Thessalonians 4. God, until then, until that time happens, I pray that, Father, that, Lord, you keep us faithful to the message of the gospel, to our families, keep us faithful to to church, keep us faithful to the Word of God. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.